0: You're listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Welcome back to the Doing Law Differently podcast. I'm your host, Lucy Dickens. Today's interview is with Shital Dio of Shakti Legal Solutions. Like many of the lawyers that I speak to on this show, Shital wears a few different hats. Her day job is with the Queensland Law Society, where she's the relationship manager, and her role is to support lawyers in their early years of practice. But when she's not advocating for her lawyer peers at the Queensland Law Society, she also works alongside them as an advocate for members of marginalised communities through her own private practice, Shakti Legal Solutions. And that's where we spend our focus in this interview, learning how Chatau is doing law differently as part of her passion to increase access to justice through Shakti Legal Solutions. Now, when I do these interviews, I do some research on my guests beforehand, but I don't have any preconceived ideas about where the conversation will go. I don't prepare long lists of questions and kind of engage in this Q&A to and fro. Instead, I have a list of topics that I am interested to explore, and then I aim to simply have a conversation with the people who I interview and see what we can all learn from them about how they're doing law differently. So I expected that Chital and I would have a talk about access to justice and what that means and how she's trying to achieve that in her business. But we also speak about alternative business models, where she went for advice about her own business, some of the shortcomings with our justice system, and of course, what is her advice for people who want to do law differently. But I think what I love most about this interview is how Chatelle explains about, in her own journey, how she recognised her shortcomings when she set up her practice. In particular, that she only had two years post-admission experience at the time. But rather than letting that hold her back, instead she asked what she could do to combat it. And she's ended up with a really unique business model that not only helps her to achieve her objectives and really focus in on her passion of access to justice, but also really gives her the skills and mentorship she needs at this stage of her career and means that she can make money because we are in business and that is part of what we're all trying to do. As always, I'm sure you will enjoy the interview. If you do, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find out about the show. And of course, I'd love it even more if you would share it with your friends and colleagues who you think would enjoy it too. So let's press play. Enjoy the interview. Here's Chital Dio of Shakti Legal Solutions on the Doing Law Differently podcast. Chatel, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lizzie. Now, like so many of the lawyers that I interview on this show, you wear a few different hats, in fact, lots of different hats. And there are lots of different ways that you're doing law differently across all of the things that you do. But I want to focus, at least start by focusing on your law firm, Shakti Legal Solutions. So it seemed like a good place to start being where you're practicing law among all of the other things that you're doing. So let's just start by telling me about that. You started in February 2020, so right as COVID hit Australia. So great timing for you. What's the purpose or vision or why did you start that?
1: Yeah, look, I think starting Shakti Legal Solutions was multifaceted. I think initially it was I just wanted a bit more freedom i didn't want to work in the traditional law firm model and i appreciate i hadn't had too many years of experience in the traditional law firm model but i kind of knew it wasn't for me i wanted to actually work remotely be able to work from wherever i wanted and be able to travel because i was nearing 30 and i hadn't done any travel really and i thought remote practices are feasible running a paperless office is feasible there's no reason why i can't be doing australian law when i'm sitting in italy because I had actually done my practical legal training program while I was actually in Canada. So I, I was undertaking the studies here in an Australian institution, but completing them in Canada. So I thought there's mechanisms and systems in place for me to be able to do this. So first and foremost, I just wanted that freedom to break away from that traditional law firm structure and actually capitalize on the tools and mechanisms in place to facilitate that.
0: Did you feel that you had to set up your own firm in order to have some of that flexibility and the ability to work remotely at that time? Because obviously we're just pre-COVID, so no one else was really working remotely. But did you see that as the only option if that's the lifestyle you wanted? Definitely. A hundred percent.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, that's perhaps speaking to the times, not that it was that long ago. It was probably, to be honest, within the first year of practice or so. And I was like, look, I really don't like this particular structure, the work gets done, it shouldn't really matter where I'm getting the work done from. And I've always been in that mindset. So I've done freelance writing, and I've always just loved working towards deliverables as opposed to a nine to five type of yeah. schedule. And I'm an early riser, like I get up at 4.30. So by the time I
0: start work at 8.30, four hours of my day, like I could have done half a day by then. And it's probably your most productive time as well, isn't it? If you're naturally waking up that early. Definitely. So that was,
1: and I mean, yeah, it was a testament to the times that that's what I thought was the only way to kind of do it. I think now, as you mentioned, in light of COVID, a lot of people are changing their views and a lot Mm -hmm. of firm structures are changing. And I think that's a great thing. But there, and I I suppose shows how entrenched the belief systems are in this traditional law firm structure. We collectively as a profession didn't move towards working remotely until that was the only option available. And I love this profession. Everything I do is woven into the legal profession and promoting the legal profession. But we're not necessarily the most proactive as a group when Mm. it comes to changing things,
0: Mm.
1: which I suppose we're a profession that's founded on precedence. So we don't necessarily look to something differently unless we have to look to something differently.
0: I say this all the time. We look to the past. We're not very good at looking into the future to think how we can be different or change things for the better. We look backwards.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I kind of approached it in a bit of a strategic way in that this is what I want my life to look like at 35. I want to be a laptop lawyer before I knew that that was a term. I want to be a laptop lawyer. I want to work from the Gold Coast one day if I want to. And I work, I want to be, my family's back home in Canada. I want to be able to work home from Canada if I want to. So, what are the steps that I need to do or what are the steps I need to put into place to get, get me there for that time? And looking around, I was looking at some firms and like, oh no, I. I just, I'm too young. Um, I don't have enough PAE behind me to get to a firm and get that freedom and flexibility because probably a controversial thing to say is you're not necessarily afforded those opportunities until you have a bit more years under your belt. I was like, well, I came into the profession and was deemed a second career lawyer because back in Canada, I did an undergrad before I started law school. So by virtue, I was already five years senior to most of the law grads coming in because I had spent five years working and studying back in Canada. So to be treated as a 21-year-old, two-year PAE just wasn't working for me when I was 29 years old and two years PAE. So I was like, I've got the nouns to be able to run a business. This is what I want to do. If there's no firms that I see are doing this and also no firms that are going to allow me to do this, well, I'm just going to go do my own then. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, the, that was the, probably the bigger pin uh, behind Shakti Legal Solutions.
0: Which is a really big decision to make, especially like you say at two years PAE, because a lot of people might wait longer or wait till they've got more runs on the board, wait till they've got more experience. Yeah. But you made the call, and obviously the flexibility in remote working was part of it. But there was yeah. more to it. You were about to tell me a second reason before I dived in with that other question. No, absolutely. So us that no, no, way. it was a.
1: So a lot of cool things were happening at the time. So I was. And one of the reasons why I was probably looking at alternate model models was because I was probably reaching a bit of a burnout and I know it, it sounds very cliche or almost, you know, Quote unquote typical. But I was about three years in and I was starting to feel burnout as a junior lawyer because all I did was work. I did nothing else. I did no community work, no volunteering anything. I had a very minimal social life. Everything was revolving around just work. And there was lots of personal factors going on. In addition, like I was trying to buy my own house. My family was coming to visit my partner for the first time with the intention to get married and so on and so forth. So it was just a really hectic time. And an opportunity came up with the Queensland Law Society to work for the professional development team. And I was like, right, okay. And the job was actually somewhat offered to me as, oh, I think you should really apply for this role. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Um, And I did. And it was it was meant to be just a bit of a lateral move. And I think it kind of gave me a bit more perspective because it took me away from the density of the forest and I could kind of see a bigger picture and say, right, what do I actually, what's going to bring me joy in this little rat race? I know this is not where I want to be in 35 years. This current step is not getting me there. Then it it came to me to do the practice management course. And I suppose this, getting back to it, the second cool thing with Shakti Legal Solutions is, and the reason why I mentioned all that stuff is I was very mindful of my age coming into it. So, you can only take the practice management course after you've put in three years post admission experience. So, technically, you could go and open up your firm, but I don't think it's very recommended for students or for students for early career lawyers to be doing that. And I would probably advise similarly not because I think it's particularly difficult anyone who started a business knows it's really difficult and there's so many yeah. things that you haven't considered when you're actually doing it but I had going for me the experience of by the time I was opening up my own practice I was 30 years old and I had worked in marketing and recruitment I had worked for some municipalities back home in Canada I'd worked for university institutions so I had a bit of professional experience in that respect and I had a bit of nous um, so I felt confident to t- take that leap But what I was very mindful of, and I don't ever want to discount the experience of practitioners who have those 30, 20 plus years of experience. So for me, it was, right, you're going to do this firm, but who's going to come to you when you have three years experience? Because you're going up against firms that are doing stuff or have been in practice for 20, 30 plus years. And I said, so what's my niche? And I thought of it and I was like, I do a lot of relationship building and engagement stuff. That's kind of what my role is with the Queensland Law Society. That's what I used to love to do when I was back home um, in Canada, with marketing and recruitment stuff. And I had at the same time as Shakti, I was working on co-founding this not-for-profit called Ethnic Plus. And it was about creating a safe and positive space for allies and people from the um, culturally and linguistically diverse rainbow communities And in doing that work, I saw there's this huge access to justice issue, which everyone knows there's a big access to justice issue, but I don't think I appreciated what that actually looked like until I was working with people who had no idea when to seek legal advice or wanted to seek legal advice and just were... Didn't have enough to afford the traditional law firm fees, but not enough to meet the threshold for legal aid. Uh, And then we all, you know, in the profession are aware of community legal centers not being adequately funded. And there's this concept of this missing middle. So I started to look a bit more into this missing middle. Like, that's it. That's my niche. I'm the missing middle because I don't do your very complex legal matters, but... I have this skill set by virtue of being a lawyer. And I was very confident in my experience that I had. I'm like, I know I'm a great junior lawyer, but at the end of the day, I am still a junior lawyer. I'm not trying to discount that and say, I can go toe to toe with, you know, your 20 year PAE. Um, But I was mindful of when it comes to doing your junior lawyer tasks, writing affidavits, drafting, I could write a powerful letter. I could write that strong letter of demand back, and that's sometimes all a client needs. Mm-hmm. Or uh, when you're working with these marginalized communities, it's just knowing what to say and how to say it, because sometimes language is a barrier. So there was a combination of: I'm at the Queensland Law Society. I have the opportunity to take this practice management course. I'm doing this outreach work, and I see people who have this real issue with accessing justice. I have the skill set to be a lawyer, but my current role, I'm not a lawyer. So it was this very, I felt this obligation of, (laughs) I actually need to do something with this degree that I have. And I want this freedom. Remember back in the day, you wanted this freedom, like you were back (laughs) working for someone else again. What happened to that plan? And it was just all of these things kept firing. And I was like, right, okay. And then November, December, I just started to buckle down and and try to strategize. So in February, I launched Shakti and we launched Ethnic as well.
0: Mm. So it's a way of tying together a lot of different interests in your life and passions in your life but also to try to help you to achieve the financial i guess and lifestyle goals that you have and you said traditional law wasn't going to do that for me so I had to figure out how to do it myself
1: yeah i don't want to be 5 years pae to wait to make a certain figure because that would mean i was going to be well, 35 or you know 32 something like that so like i don't want to wait that amount of time period when i know my work ethic is that of um a bit further along, if I could yeah. say, because I think there's a, the other piece is probably missing is a bit of a, I mean, we all know about the underpayment of junior lawyers. That's an ongoing issue. That's a, it's a serious concern. And it may not be that big of a concern for someone who's 21, but when you're 31 and you have a mortgage, it's not as, an okay thing. I mean, it's never an okay thing, but it's less something you're willing to tolerate. Mm,
0: you've got other responsibilities. Definitely. When you started this, you mentioned, you've mentioned a couple of times, you were looking at alternative models, you know, starting a business is difficult. You, mm. You're you really focusing and, and obviously you're aware of your level of experience with the practice of law. Yeah. So where did you go? I want to get to the practice of law, but in a minute, because I know you've got partnerships that kind of helping to support you through that co- development of your practice. But what about Hmm. the business side? When you were looking for these different ways of doing business, where did you go? Where did you look? Who did you ask?
1: If I'll be very honest, I asked my younger brother. My younger brother is the most entrepreneurial man that I know. And I said, this is what I kind of want to do. And he's always I actually never saw myself as working for myself. I always saw myself as a worker bee. I'm a good worker bee. And even in my Shakti model, I'm still a worker bee because I consult back to firms so I can work with them. So I suppose still I have a mindset of a worker bee mentality. And he is very much of a, if you ever want to make money in life, you have to work for yourself. You can't work for other people. What
0: does he do? Just out of interest? What's he his-
1: is a, he's a jack-of-all-trades but actually, he's a master of many trades. He's a kinesiologist, so he does sports medicine and physiotherapy. Okay. He's five years younger than me. He's got his own clinic. He's got several passive income streams. His branding is on point. He somehow used our family dog as a brand and puts his face on anything and it just sells. Um, <laughs> it's just, he sells like water it's bottles. The eyes. I don't know how this is happening, but he's just got this brand following. And actually, I, I'll even come back to him when I, when I speak about the model of, of Shakti in particular. Like when I had said to him, the whole point of Shakti is to provide access to justice to people with little or moderate means and I think the term for that is like a low bono firm and that's kind of how I see Shakti as as a low bono firm because it's not pro bono because I still need to have some sort of income to Mm. maintain the firm but it's lesser than what a what a standard firm would typically charge and I was just speaking to my brother about this morning in preparation for today's chat and he said I don't actually think you should charge a lesser fee I feel like you should charge a premium I was like I don't know how I'm going to charge a premium if someone's paying 300 for a will and I'm charging 300 for a will. He's like, yeah, you should charge 400. I was like, why would I charge 400? He's like, well, because I was trying to explain to him that I want to put something in my invoice to say to people that, you know, you're paying your full service fee so that I can provide services to someone else who can't pay a full service fee. So you're helping access to justice. And he's like, But if someone else's will cost 300, that's just going to make me question the value of the service you're providing me. So you should charge me a premium. So I know that the extra amount is going towards that as opposed Mm. to the amount of work you've given. So that's what I mean. He's very entrepreneurial in that sense. He
0: sounds like a great person to have on side. Yes, absolutely. That reminds me of like the pay it forward with like coffee or meals that you see at cafes because you don't just pay for yours and think that maybe like a small percentage of that is going to then help somebody else. You actually pay the full fee for somebody else who might not be able to afford it themselves. And
1: that's exactly it. So that's the it's kind of like the um or also the pay what you want type of thing. Yeah. So there's organizations, restaurants sometimes that have like a pay is pay what you want night. So you go in and you pay and you know that because you paid 50 instead of 25, someone else who's paid five you know covers the cost for their meal type of thing. So that's kind of the mentality that came with with Shakti, because I said at the end of the day, I still need to maintain operational costs. It was great because I've still got my full-time role with Queensland Law Society. So I'd never started the firm with the intention of it's going to be a profitable thing to begin with. It truly was. I just wanted to help provide access to justice. I had the skill set. I just felt this moral obligation that I need to be doing more than what I'm currently doing. I can't have had the privilege and the opportunities to go to law school and do all of these things and have this knowledge and skill set and not help someone who's not able to do those things by virtue of something they had no control over. They didn't choose to be born in Canada. They didn't choose to be born into an impoverished family. So why is it that I got to go to law school and have the skill set and then in all my all in mightiness not do anything about it where they're struggling to find the answers to, is this a domestic violence case? Who do I ask for help? Yeah. So I think the more outreach work I did and I saw people asking those questions, of, I don't know who to ask for help. I'm like, oh, that's easy. You go to like DV Connect or you go do this or... Oh that's a simple affidavit I can draft that up for you. I was like right this is the missing middle and this yeah. is these are the discrete tasks that I can actually help with. Mm-hmm. And if it's something you know hotter and heavier than that then I need to get the buy-in from the firms, and I think because it's still early stages for Shakti, that's kind of where I'm at—is having those discussions with the firms to say this is the model, this is the structure. So if you're if you're wanting to help these people in the missing middle who you know don't fall within government funding, then support firms like Shakti Legal Solutions, where we're trying to provide the discrete tasks and do help where we can. But if it is something that is going to need you know a barrister in trial, I'm not equipped for that, and yeah. I, it's like I respect the profession enough to know I can't mismanage someone else's matters. Like every matter is whether it's like a $200 will or a $200,000 estate or a $2 million estate. For me, it's that obligation as a lawyer is still as arduous. So I don't want to try to take it on and and try it and see if I can figure it out. That's never something I want to do. So that's when I go to the firms.
0: And so you've come up with quite a unique way of Doing that. And I think this is really interesting because you're sending work out where you say, I'm not experienced enough, or perhaps I don't have the capacity to take on this matter. You refer it to a, who you call a partner firm, and then you consult back to them. So, do they then, in some ways, give you the training and mentorship that then also helps your legal skills to grow?
1: Absolutely. So it's a very, it's, I'm very, I'm kind of very proud of the structure because it's a, it's pretty clever. So the other consideration I had to think of is how am I going to upskill? Otherwise, I'm going to sit as a, I'll be a 10 year post admission experience, but technically I'd only have two years of experience from when I was actually working at someone else's firm. So I consult back to the firm and say, look, if you need a good quality temp to come in, you don't have to put me on a salary. You don't have to give me any super and none of those benefits. I just work on you per matter or per task even. You choose what you want me for. And we work together. Of course, I'm at a discounted rate because I'm wanting to provide that access to justice. But also the trade-off to that is that, yeah, alongside the way, I will be learning a different area of law or I'll be learning a different skill set and working with that. The work gets done. You get the good feedback feels of helping someone, and you are helping someone, helping two people, actually, your client and then myself and empowering me to then bring in more clients and, and do a bit more work.
0: One of the conditions to that arrangement that they pass on the discounted rate to the clients so that they can further your mission about access to justice...
1: Absolutely. So at the outset, when I do reach out to firms or in firms, it was actually quite great when I posted on LinkedIn about Shakti Legal Solutions. And I did a bit of a call out of if this is the kind of firm you want to be you know, associated with, reach out. And I had a few firms reach out and say, I think what you're doing is great. Let me know how I can help in whatever capacity. It's been great that the firms that have reached out are firms that have the same approach to access to justice that I do and the same passion towards it. And the hope is by having me consult back to you, you're not the one having to do the work. You can just settle the documents if that's what's needed. So instead of the firm being charged out that lawyer's 10 hours, it's being charged out one hour versus my nine hours, which is going to be rated at a significantly lower rate. So inherently, just by virtue of that model, whether they add on any additional discounts or not, it's already a discounted figure because I've done the uh, legwork for them, hopefully, and they wouldn't have had to spend as much time on it.
0: Have you got your hands on my new ebook? It's filled with 80 short, sharp, and practical tips to help you firm your foundations, sort your strategy, and optimize your operations so that you can modernize your law firm. Get your copy at lucydickens.com.au forward slash ebook. One of the things I really like about your business model is that you're helping access to justice, but you're not trying to do it as a not for profit. You're saying, look, I am a business and I do need to make money and that's okay, but there are different ways of doing that that still support your mission, which is the access to justice piece. Because I think a lot of people hear those words and they're kind of thrown around a lot, but often access to justice is only really thought of in the sense of pro bono work or not-for-profit mm. or charity that, that charitable work, that kind of thing. But what I like is you saying actually access to justice is about a lot more than that, and we can still have these values and still be looking to help this marginalised group of people but still do it as a profitable business. And that's quite yeah. similar to the approach of the firm where I work. We also work for the kind of the missing middle. We're not charging yeah. super high rates, but we're also not doing the work for free because we yeah. are a business and we do need to make money. And you've yeah. definitely got a similar kind of approach there with your business model.
1: Yeah. And I think I appreciated it more when I saw not-for-profits having started one just myself. It's very arduous. And when I saw not-for-profit sector in law and the funding, I never wanted to be reliant on funding. I said, I'd rather be reliant on the humanity of people that want to help other people because i cynical as it sounds. I have more faith in that than government funding to come through from time <laughs> to time. So I said, I'd rather say to someone, look, Lucy, I'm going to charge you 500 bucks for your task. But hey, cool thing. When you pay me 500 bucks, that actually allows me to help this lady who has just been kicked out of her home, write a letter to the tenancy agency for 200 bucks or for free. Um, so I feel like that is... I would not want to say a selling point, but I feel like that's a much better if I put my commercial hat on and say that's a
0: much better selling point than relying on funding. What response have you had to that from the people who you've taken that approach with? As in clients or yeah. the clients who are,
1: yeah, I think they love it. They absolutely love it. So when I was first starting up my firm, I had a list of people waiting to get wills done because I wills were my bread and butter when I was back at in private practice. So like, yeah, I've got eight people's wills to do, and I sat there and I said, "Oh, you guys are friends. I don't really want to charge you, or I want to give you a discounted amount." Again, really poor businesswoman because my brother's like, no, friends (laughs) and family should be paying
0: like. They should definitely be paying. Yeah. They should be supporting your business. (laughs) A hundred percent. So did your brother sort you out?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He's like, no, you should be charging them a premium. And I was like, oh God. So my brother's all about the premiums. (laughs) And then I was asking another friend, I was like, Oh, you know, a friend's parents have asked me to do their wills and they're older and I don't really want to charge them. And she's like, Oh, you're never going to make any money. <laughs> I was like, I'm not trying to. And that's when the idea came to put in, like you have to be a bit more vocal about what their money is going towards. Yeah. And I was like, right. So you're not just helping. I don't want you to think that I've got my full-time job and I'm being really greedy and, and started another job. It's actually this job is helping me provide access to other people. So the response has been, overwhelmingly supportive and they just, they don't know how to do it. And again, my brother gave the example of say, for example, your business is going, you know, 10% of your business goes towards the environmental Friendly things and you go out and plant trees it's so much easier for a client to give you another extra 10 bucks and say yep you know the tree people you know where to go plant the trees and you're going to yeah. go all do the tree stuff as opposed to you do the hard to work it
0: they they get That's, the goodwill of having made the contribution exactly. but they don't have the legwork of actually doing that themselves
1: Absolutely. So he's like, yeah. So if someone else is, cause I said, I'm going to charge competitive because I thought I would always charge a discounted fee for even my regular tasks. And he's like, why, what is it with you and discounts? And I said, okay, fine. I'll be competitive. He's like, don't be competitive. You're doing like a layer above and people will pay a layer above because you're doing that goodwill piece. So I constantly get business acumen from my younger brother because he's just the business head. And I'm just, if it, I'd probably end up you know, homeless, just working, working myself out of business.
0: Because you'd be discount, discount, discount.
1: Yeah. It's like everyone, every, all legal services for free. And yeah. there's my mom and dad sitting like, who's paying for this law degree? Like what happened? I'm like, oh yeah, thanks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but you also, you're giving away all legal services for free and then working a full-time job to be able to afford to give away all
1: legal <laughs> right. services for free. <laughs> Basically. It's not a sustainable model. So after yeah, some thorough chats with my brother over the past few months, because I had been doing it that way for March, April, May, June. And of course, Things slow down due to COVID, but then it picked up when we started returning back to business. And I said, Well, this isn't a sustainable model, I have to think of a better way of doing this. And he said, You need to actually tell people what you're doing with Chuck B because consulting is all the rage now, or it's becoming more of the rage now. And you know, you need to be consulting out to firms and you need to be telling people that this is their opportunity to do goodwill. I was like, Right, okay. So when the opportunity to actually come onto your podcast came up, i like, Oh great. He's like, awesome, marketing opportunity, get on it, make sure you blah blah blah. And I was like. Oh. Great.
0: I like awesome. your brother I want to have a chat with him he sounds great he sounds like my kind of person with all this kind of business mm-hmm. ideas but it's it's yeah. really good isn't it to have somebody like that who you can who's an outsider right he's not writing yeah. the wheels and seeing the clients no. but he's able to give you that outside perspective and help you to value your work more because I think that yeah. is often missing especially with females I think and yeah. especially with sole practitioners it's you don't have those people around you to give you that support and to bounce ideas off and having some somebody else who can tell you and help you to see your own value is really, really important in business. It's the role of a good business coach. So that's, I guess, effectively what he's doing for you.
1: Absolutely. And there's huge imposter syndrome. So, I mean, you've got not to, I I really dislike oppression Olympics types language, but you are female, you're young in the profession, you know, there's all these things that come into your head of like, Oh, should I really be doing this? And I work for Queensland Law Society, which actively recommends you don't necessarily start your own firm three or four years out of practice. I'm like, right. And I, I remember the first time I had a litigation matter come across my desk when I had started. It was legit the first litigation matter I touched since being out of practice. And it had been probably a good year because at Queensland Law Society, again, I don't do anything lawyery stuff. My PC's like left at the door as soon as I walk in. And I looked at it and I was like, I don't remember how to write a letter back. And it was just this huge imposter syndrome coming through. I'm like, I don't know what I've started. Like I've paid my insurance and I've got the firm and I've got the website up, but I can't, I don't think I can do this. And I think I struggled with it for oh, probably like two days or so. And then I called up a few of my friendlies and said, look, I've got this litigation matter and it's a collegiate group and people are always willing to help other people. And it was just a matter of getting back into the flow of things and you know, obviously I, I got back into it cause I'm still here, but huge imposter syndrome to sit yeah. there and say, I, I'm way in over my head. The website people are calling me for edits to the website. I'm like, I don't, what's the invoicing program that I use? What's the practice management software that I use? I just wanted to like, I just want to help people. I didn't think about all this other stuff. It's not an easy task for all the business owners that have done it. Like kudos to you. And I have so much more appreciation for everyone who's, who's gone through the process, but yeah, it's not as easy as I just want to do good things. There was just so much, so many other things to consider that I, I just hadn't.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. Completely agree. I think a lot of lawyers maybe who have a bit more experience than you do, kind of get when you started the business, get to that point where they think I'm really good at this legal thing. And I'm bringing in all this money and most of it's going to the partners. So I can just go out and set up and do this for myself, but have really little understanding of what it takes to run a business. And they might be excellent lawyers, but the business side of things is often quite a big shock to the system. So you're definitely not alone in that.
1: And it's true because I know when, again, working with QLS, we see through the calls that we get through our ethics center, financial literacy, business management, business acumen skills, these are the shortages in the profession. So again, Mm. when I worked in professional development, these are the skills that I wanted to create resources for because that's the skill set that lawyers need. But it's giving a product to people when they don't recognize that that's what they need. Yeah. You actually need this, but no, no, yeah. no I'd rather go to this conference instead. I'm like, no, but you actually need to know about the future of the legal profession and innovation and design thinking and strategic thinking, because it's not just the practice of law, it's the business of law. And I suppose that was another token of it as well. Like I couldn't sit there and preach about the business of law when I didn't actually go through the process myself. And, and now having gone through the process of it, I feel better equipped to talk to people about it as a lawyer and finding the balance between the two and well, the balance between the two and then the other two entities as well. But it is a steep learning curve, but I think it's very, very important for lawyers to consider it because it's just the way of the future, honestly.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And that's a a big part of the purpose and the reason behind this podcast and the reason why my conversations are all about what are you doing and why are you doing it that way? And how did you do it as opposed to the kind of the piece about why, why we should change? Because Everybody's talking about the why piece, but there is much less conversation and guidance about, okay, so this is why I need to do stuff or what I should be doing, but how do I actually make that happen? And what does that look like? So that's why I focus a lot on the behind the scenes and the business aspects of running a law firm, because I think it's missing. I agree with you.
1: And I think that your podcast, like this series in particular, Knowing the How, is so Pivotal because the why has been. I'm going to say it's overdone now. Talking about the future is coming. The future is here. The future is what five years ago. Like Richard Suskin's "The Tomorrow's Lawyers" is that's old news now. Like the moving remotely, we were past that well and truly thanks to COVID. And I think the hesitation to adopt is one this re- resistance to change because we're such risk-averse people as lawyers, speaking very generally. But it's also the unknown of how to actually do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
1: when we know how to do it, it's like, oh, and it's a visibility. Like, you can't be what you can't see unless I know someone else has already done it. It's very difficult to be that first person to jump into that. And for the first people who jump into it, my goodness, like, thank you for those first people who have gone and stepped through and done it because I can only imagine... This model, I feel for Shakti, I haven't seen anyone use it. There are components that have been done in different companies, but I've tried to fuse it all into the one and it's taken some time and it's not been a necessarily easy process to get through, but now I'm hopeful people see this model and will be like, Oh, if she did it, at four years PAE. There's no reason why I can't do this at 10 years PAE. And I'm not competing with you because at the end of the day, my goal is to provide access to justice to more people. So whether they come to you to get that job done or they come to me to get that job done, we're still helping someone who needs to get the job done. This is how you see I'm never gonna be that very wealthy person, but I will be the person that's hopefully been somewhat pivotal in providing access to justice for a wider community.
0: There's so much in that, but <laughs> and I know as you were talking, I was like, yes, and I was going to make this comment and then I was going to make this comment, but I guess what it comes to is a few things. One, it's not all about wealth and there's a lot more to success in inverted commas or your goals and your purpose than money. And I mean, that comes through very clearly. So it doesn't always have to be about money. There's lots of other things as well. But I'm really grateful to you for sharing the behind the scenes about how you built the business and what does it look like and how does it work. And particularly how you said, I've identified these shortcomings, but rather than letting that stop me and staying in this system for another five years that I know doesn't suit me and I know is not the way I see my life running, you actually said, well okay, these are the areas where I could do with more skills. How can I design my business so that I can make that part of it and then I can continue with this goal and I can still build this business, but I've got a way of increasing my legal skills and I've got something built in where I'm going to get mentorship along the way and I can achieve this goal of providing access to justice for people who can't afford it, but I can still make money because I'm giving up a hell of a lot of my time and all of those things, I think it's really admirable the way that you've gone About setting this up to achieve all those goals. Thank you. I say it's very much a privilege
1: to be in the position that I'm in because, as difficult as it can be to wear all the hats that I do, I I'm so lucky that every hat that I get to wear is something I'm so passionate about, whether it's working with the next generation of lawyers with QLS or working with people who are genuinely just needing access to justice through Shakti or people who are trying to learn how to be better allies and um, do a bit more community work with the Cald Rainbow community. It's just, uh, yeah, I feel very, very, very lucky and very privileged to be able to do what I do.
0: And a lot of hard work too. A bit of that. A bit of that. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of that, but that's all right. Okay. The question I like to finish on with all of my interviewees is what advice would you give to someone who wants to do law differently? Hmm.
1: I think the key thing for me was figuring out my why. Why did I want to do law differently? And the reason why I say that, especially after I've just said the why is a bit overdone, is because when the going got tough, I had to revisit why. So when I'm sitting there struggling and literally feeling hemorrhaged because I didn't feel I had enough skill set to do what I was trying to do, I had to remember why I was doing it. Why was it necessary for me to start up my own practice to do it, right? Because this particular model didn't work. I had exhausted all these other avenues. I had done the research to find out what was working and what wasn't working. So I think if you're considering doing law differently, Don't think about why law needs to be done differently. Law obviously needs to be done differently. But why is it particularly for you? What is it specific to you? What's your driving force that's going to get you through those tough times when you face tension and friction? Because that's change. That's outside of your comfort zone. It's outside of the legal comfort zone. That's where growth happens, as the cliche goes. So in those times, it's really key, or it has been for me to be able to look back and say, this was my why. This is why I was doing this. Just remember this and, and keep going one foot, you know, after the after the next. So I remember your why, not the why, but your why.
0: I like that. It's really good advice. Yeah. I like that the, it's so personal because it is different for everyone. And, you know, we've kind of touched on success, but that is different for everyone too. We're not all chasing the same thing. And it's so 100%. easy to get caught up by what other people are doing or, or by the career ladder that we're told is ahead of us yes. when we finish uni or even when we start uni yep. for that matter. Yep. Uh, but it doesn't have to be like that. And I guess that's perhaps a large part of your role at QLS as well.
1: I suppose the, the, the shorter answer to what I would say to someone who wanted to do law differently, I'd say, good, good, do it. Go on, then. As you should. Yes. Yeah, as you should. I'm speaking to someone in, in a QLS capacity about my role as a relationship manager for future lawyers, future leaders. And their question was, what advice would you give a law student who was trying to find the right fit? Because one of the modules I run is finding the right fit for law students. And this conception of this conventional pathway it just doesn't exist. Like, there's no conventional pathway. There's absolutely, there's no, you know, there's a clerkship graduate associate, senior associate partner. That is a pathway that is no longer the conventional pathway. If I ever had another message that's probably more specific to the students of the next generation of lawyers or even someone who's trying to do law differently, there's no conventional pathway. Just if it looks different, you're doing something differently, that's great. If no one's done it before, even better. That's probably exactly what the profession needs right now. So probably take comfort in the fact that you're trying to do something differently and it doesn't actually fit the mold because it probably shouldn't because the mold doesn't work.
0: I like it. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for being so honest about what's going on in your business and for sharing all your wisdom as well.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. Great opportunity.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Doing Law Differently. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd love you to share it with someone else who you think will love it too. You can find all our past episodes at doinglawdifferently.com.au.